Please turn with me in your Bible this morning to James chapter 1, as we're reading together verses 19 through 25. As most of you are aware, we have been spending our Sundays during the month of August, September, October, and maybe even into November in the New Testament epistle of James. And we've been exploring it section by section, and today we're coming to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. And in typical James fashion, this is a remarkably practical passage of Scripture, and one that will be hopefully an encouragement to us this morning as we seek to grow in our faith. James begins chapter 1, verse 19, this final section of chapter 1 with these words. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, He will be blessed in what he does. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over these Sundays together, as we have begun to immerse ourselves in a deeper and deeper fashion into the epistle of James, we've learned several things. And I have no intention of doing this every Sunday, but every now and again it's helpful to pause for a moment and look back what have we learned on previous Sundays. And over the last couple of Sundays, and by way of introduction this morning, we've learned this, that the epistle of James falls into the classification of New Testament epistles called general epistles. And by that, New Testament scholars mean this. It wasn't written to an individual, For example, 1st or 2nd Timothy, Philemon, Titus, those were written to individuals. James is not written to an individual. Secondly, it's not written to a particular congregation, such as 1st and 2nd Corinthians, or Ephesians, or 1st and 2nd Thessalonica, or Thessalonians, or the Philippians. But it's written to a much broader audience than one individual, much broader than a particular congregation. In fact, James writes to those who are scattered among the 12 tribes, and we'll explain that in a moment. Secondly, we saw this in our first Sunday together, it was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And in Galatians and Acts, the apostle Paul writes in some detail about James and his particular position, and they tell us that, in fact, not only was the brother of Jesus, he was a leader in the infant church in Jerusalem. So he was well known in his day and had that senior leadership role which others looked up to. Fourthly, I mentioned this moments ago, his readers had experienced persecution. 
And we know that in those early days in the church in Jerusalem, the church was exploding and growing very rapidly, and they suffered persecution. So much so that a number of them had to flee for their lives, some going north into Syria and Antioch, others coming south and west towards Egypt, others going south and east towards what we now consider as ancient Arabia. In addition to that, we can also say that James, and we've seen this multiple times, we're going to see it again this morning, is characterized by its hard-hitting practicality. That is typical of James in so many ways. And again, as I said, we'll see it this morning. And yet we also said in that first Sunday together that James's writing could be summed up in this manner. It's perfectly straightforward, yet powerfully significant. And if you take notes in the margin of your Bible or you're at home this morning and at the top of the page it says James and you want to put in parenthesis underneath, that is a good summary of the epistle of James. Perfectly straightforward, yet powerfully significant. And you again, we're going to see it this morning. And the other amazing thing for me is this, that the entire epistle can be read straight through in less than eight minutes. And of course, in your mind, you're now saying, Richard, if it can be read straight through in less than eight minutes, why are we spending the latter part of August, all of September, October, and November with James? Because it has so much to teach us. It is a rich epistle that is designed for growth. And so that's, in summary, where we've been. Now, you may be sitting there saying, okay... Richard, I hear what you're saying, and I enjoy every time you give us a cultural, political, biblical context of an epistle or a book when we come to read it, and I always learn something from it. But Richard, having explained a little about James's first readers and the background to it and who was writing to whom and when, I have to tell you a little about myself this morning. Richard, I need you to understand where I'm coming from this morning, because this past week has been for me one of the busiest that I can remember. Kids started back to school about 10 days ago. Work has got increasingly busy this week, and not only has it been busy at work when I've rushed out to work in the morning, had a busy day, come home at night, and then my wife and I are dropping the kids off to soccer practice, music lessons, swim class, and it goes on and on and on. And Richard, between us, I've had... I've honestly not had more than five minutes to pause and pray all week. It's just been one of those weeks. And if you really push me into a corner, I would have to tell you, I couldn't be bothered coming this morning. I really couldn't. I thought it's a holiday weekend. No one will notice if I'm not there. They'll assume I've gone to the beach or I'm away with my family or I'll watch online in my pajamas and I'll be fine. I don't, do I really need to be at worship this morning? Well, if that describes you, and if you're tempted to say, Richard, I always enjoy what you've got to say on Sunday, but this week above all things, I need something I can take away. 
Something I can apply to my life beginning today through next Sunday so that when I get to next Sunday, I will look back and say, I've at least accomplished that one thing. Richard, don't make it too difficult. Don't make it complex. Make it nice and simple, accessible so I can get it and try and apply it this week. Because this week's going to be every bit as busy as last week. So please have mercy on me. Help me here this morning. And well, if you've had that kind of week, and that's how you're thinking or tempted to think, it may well be that this passage in the providence of God is about to speak into your life. So come with me as we explore all that James has to teach us this morning. And he begins verse 19, and he writes, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, let me pause right there. Whenever you read that passage, you are tempted to think, here is James giving us some practical hints of how to live out the Christian life. A relationship with our children, parents, grandparents, relationships with people in our neighborhood, folks at work, People at the gym, wherever we spend our time, it is always a good idea to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's, those are good words. Words, perhaps, that I need to heed more than any. And you may well be saying that to yourself. But there's also a second emphasis here that you might not immediately see when you read those words and take them at first glance. Because when James writes, it's always good to see it in its context. And by that I mean this. Go back to verse 18, the one immediately before verse 19, the one we began our reading with. And at verse 18 we read this. He's writing of God and he says this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And what James is telling us is this, that whenever we discover the love and grace of God, whenever God exposes us to his eternal nature and grace, and he reaches out and touches us, heart and mind and soul, and draws us into a relationship with himself. What he is doing is this. He is creating within us a new heart, new mind, new soul, and he is creating the experience which we think of as being born again. It is a new birth. It's a spiritual birth. And suddenly you're alive for the first time and his love and mercy and goodness become real to us. And prayer matters. Worship becomes a priority. We are moved deeply because we now have intimacy with the living God. And that's what James is saying. And it comes to us how? Through the word of truth, the gospel. That's the point he's making. And he's saying, out of that experience, 
out of that belief that you have encountered in the gospel comes new behavior. Because here is James saying to us that from new birth comes new belief, and behavior follows belief. Be quick to listen, slow to become angry. Can you see the point he's making? Because we know in our own experience, and Scripture teaches us, that whenever we spend time in His presence, whenever we're renewed and refreshed by Him, whenever we sense that mighty, energizing love that shapes and fashions us, then everything else falls into perspective because He's number one. He's the focal point in our life. And that's where we get the power to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I would have to tell you that Ruth can tell me in five minutes if I have been spending time in the presence of Christ because she knows it by my behavior. Behavior follows belief. That's the point of the new birth. It impacts our life. Belief, behavior go hand in hand. So it's not simply that we should never be quick to listen. Excuse me, we should be quick to listen. Of course we should. Slow to speak, slow to become angry, but we are empowered and equipped to do so. Sometimes in the most challenging and difficult circumstances by the grace and love of God that we've experienced. And so that's what James is telling us. And then he takes it a step further. He says, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It doesn't. And now he adds, therefore. Why does he add therefore? And how often have we said it on Sunday morning? Whenever we come across the word therefore, we stop and look and see what it's Therefore, it's there to teach us. And James is saying, therefore, because of this new birth, because of this new behavior, because of this Christ-like desire to grow in faith and be shaped and fashioned by Him, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Now, earlier this morning, in fact, what, five, seven minutes ago, we talked about why it is helpful to spend time in His presence, because that empowering, enabling, and equipping grace does what? It equips us for the week ahead. And we talked about James being hard-hitting and practical. And if you are looking for something practical, if you are looking for something measurable, and the scenario I painted at the beginning, here it comes. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of it. I told you a couple of weeks ago, and you'll be fed up hearing me say this, that I had been busy all Saturday morning, right through lunchtime, preparing for Sunday, and I was beginning to pull it all together. And around lunchtime, around 1.30 or 2, I paused for an hour or so to have a bite of lunch. I settled down, was watching a program on TV. It was a movie I hadn't seen before. And I thought, oh, I've heard about this. So I'll watch it while I'm having lunch. And I sat there with a sandwich and a glass of milk. And then slowly but surely, the movie became more 
more salacious, more gratuitous. And I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. And not only was I sitting there watching, the next thought I had in my mind was, it's not anything I haven't seen before. I'm a big boy. I can handle this. It's no big deal. I thought I'll just fast forward. I was seeking to accommodate what was happening. Not to resist it. Not to change the channel. But seeking to live with it. I was rationalizing it to myself. And James quite rightly says, stop it. Stop it. Sometimes I find myself in a counseling situation where we are engaging in deep, intimate conversation and the person I'm talking to will talk about temptation in this area and I find myself saying again and again and again and again, the greatest strategy in dealing with this particular sin is what? Stop it. Stop it. Put an end to it. When you open up that laptop or switch on a computer screen, you have access to images and temptations that are just beggar belief. And if you're not going to deal with it, understand this. You are deceiving yourself. That's what James says. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we looked in those hard practical, in a hard practical manner at temptation? And we said that whenever we engage with sin, sin impacts us every bit as much as the act of sin itself because it has a tranquilizing, enslaving, addictive quality to it. And James rightly says and teaches us, don't deceive yourself. Stop it. Folks, the generation coming up have access to images that are absolutely awful. And our prayers for that generation are needed beyond measure. And not only that generation, for us as well. And why is James so clear? Why is he so hard-hitting and practical? Because he understands this. Get rid of all moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Do you remember moments ago when he said what? The word of truth. And so it acts as parenthesis to support all that he is saying here. The word planted in you. The word that can save you. That's the point he's making. And he's saying humbly accept it. That word acceptance And the image in my mind is a grandparent welcoming a four-year-old for a visit for a long weekend. And the door opens, and the garden gate opens, and the four-year-old is running to grandma, arms out wide, can't wait to jump into her arms. And she can't wait to receive him, accept it willingly, gladly, delight in receiving the Word of God. Let it shape you and energize you and give you those new passions, new desires, new hopes and dreams. Don't accommodate the temptations of this world. But... Move on to 
intimacy and deep joy and transformation and the love of God. Because once you have tasted it, nothing else, nothing else comes close ever again. That's the point James is making. And then he takes it a step further. Inquire, I need your help this morning because I'm now at the stage with about 15 minutes to go. The congregation are getting sleepy. Keep an eye on them for me, please, because we're about to get to the crux of the message. And here is James taking it to a level. And if you think the first part was practical and hard hitting, you ain't seen nothing yet because here it comes. And James goes on. And he says, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Do not be Excuse me, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but rather do what it says. Now let me pause right there. Ever wake up, turn off the alarm, I think I've got five more minutes, and then 20 minutes later you wake up and think, oh dear, I'm so late, jump into the shower, quickly shave or put on your makeup run for breakfast, get the kids up, and before you know it, you're scrambling to get out the door, scrambling to drop them off at school, scrambling to get to your place of work, and it's been one rushed moment after another after another. That's what James is saying. Do not deceive yourself. Do not come to the Scriptures in a quick, hurried fashion as if you are shaving in the mirror in the morning and then five minutes later, the details of your face have been forgotten. Don't treat it like that. But slow down. Accept it. Welcome it. Notice what he says. Do not merely listen and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And if there's one word I want you to take away from our study this morning, it's this one word, obedience. Do what it says. He goes on, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, and the illustration is clear. And then he goes on, but the man who looks intently, and let me see if I've got it up on the screen for you so you can look at it with me. And he says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it will be blessed in what he does. Now let me slow it down and take it step by step. But the man who looks intently, that's the same language used at the end of John's gospel where John and Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday morning stand at the mouth of the open grave, the tomb, and they look inside and they intently examine every area of the empty tomb trying to work out what on earth has taken place here. 
How could this possibly be happening? God was at work in a spectacular, unprecedented, supernatural manner as he brought Christ back from the dead. Same language. They looked intently. That's what James is saying here. Look intently. Take your time. Read. Engage. And it's fascinating that it's James who is writing this. Because that was not always the experience of James. James did not come to faith in Christ till after the resurrection. He grew up with him. In his public ministry, he listened to him preach. He watched him impact thousands upon thousands of lives. He'd heard the gospel countless times, but he had a hard time looking at it intently. He wasn't quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It was the opposite. He was dismissive of Christ. How could my brother possibly be the Messiah? This is nonsense. I have no idea how he does it, but it's nonsense. I remember, I grew up with him. We played hide-and-seek together. He always wanted hide-and-seek, and I wondered what all that was about. But you can imagine James and his imagination. And here he is, now saying, Do not merely listen. But look intently. He's saying, I've been there. I've experienced it for myself. Begin to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Freedom to live life in all of its fullness. Freedom to come back and seek His mercy and forgiveness when we get it wrong. Freedom to begin again. Freedom not to be held in slavery and seduction and enticement and allurement by sin, but to rise above it and be empowered by Him. That's the point He's making. Freedom from the perfect law or the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what He's heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. Doing it. Obedience. Carrying it out. Carrying it out in a manner that's measurable. Carrying it out in a manner that means you can look back and see God's grace at work in your life. How often have we said in previous Sundays that there's a world of a difference between reading a menu and having a meal. There's a world of a difference between, between reading the instructions on medication and actually taking the medication. You can read the instructions all day, but until you take it, it will have no effect. That's the point James is making. Apply it to your lives. Live out your faith. He equips us Sunday morning to what? To live out our faith day by day by day, continuing to do what he calls us to do. Please let me finish with this thought. Oh, excuse me, I've gone too far. Let me come back. There is no such thing as being instantly mature, intellectually astute, morally flawless, and spiritually wise. 
a model of faithfulness and uninhibited faith. It comes from the hard work of faithful, consistent obedience. We started by suggesting you may be here this morning looking for something practical to apply this week, something that you could do and look back and see God at work. Simply obedience. Perfectly straightforward, yet powerfully significant. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all that you have taught us this morning. And enable us, please, in the week ahead, to slow down enough to spend time with you, to put to side, one side all of the activities and busyness of the week ahead, to welcome and receive the word of truth that shapes and fashions us and equips us. And above all things, Help us to be obedient in the area of moral values and to spend time with you that you would shape and fashion us, strengthen and equip us to be more Christ-like each day. Father, thank you for this epistle. Enable us this week to live in the light of it and may we glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.